0: Hello and welcome into another episode on the Labumba Pastors blog. I'm Masumba Jonathan. Today's lesson is a QA episode. I've taken some time without doing any question and answers. So I wanted to do um, I wanted to answer a question today. And the question that I'm going to answer is a question that's been asked to me many times over the years. The question is, how can I know the will of God? How can I know the will of God? This was a, I think, I think this is a question that every earnest believer, every genuine believer uh, is majorly concerned about. We see uh, in the people that listened to John the Baptist preaching and, and believed what he said, they all asked him what God wanted them to do now. There was an immediate desire to, after having received the revelation of God's truth, to want to live in correct response to it. And so people want to know, what what does God want me to do? So in our study today, I want to give some basic principles to help guide us about this question of knowing God's will for our lives. The first principle is that we can't know the will of God while we walk in disobedience to what God has already revealed to us. The Bible urges believers to understand God's will. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, we read, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Notice this verse contrasts disobedience, foolishness, with understanding God's will. The Bible says this about the steps of a good man. In Psalm 37, verse 23, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. The obvious understanding of this statement is that since the Lord's path is the path of righteousness, those who walk in righteousness will have their steps ordered or established by God. In contrast, God explains he is against or opposed those who disobey him. Proverbs 28 verse 9 says, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. So the first thing we see is that we won't know the will of God if we are not already obeying what he's told us to do. And majorly, most, most of doing the will of God is just paying attention to do what God has already told us to do. And most of our failure to complete the will of God has to do with failing not what is hard to understand, but what can be difficult for sinners to obey. Like we know we are supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. We know we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We know we are to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. We know we are supposed to pray without ceasing. We know we are to bless those who persecute us and pray for those who abuse us. We know we are supposed to give to anyone who begs from us? We know we are to go to all nations and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know we glorify our Heavenly Father by producing much fruit. So we could go on and on and on, but the main point I want you to see, first of all, is that majorly, the majority of, of doing the will of God in your life is being faithful to obey what God has already called us to do, what He's made very clear to us. Secondly, we can't know the will of God without consulting God. In Proverbs chapter 16 verse 3, we read, "Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established." When we plan alone, the plan is our own. Many times, people are guilty of planning without God. When the wicked king Ahab wanted to fight against Syria, He only consulted his prophets of Baal because he knew they would just confirm his plan. He knew they would tell him what he wanted to hear. But if you truly want to know God's will, you need to submit every plan to him and be submissive if he changes or even rejects your plan. Third, you can't know the will of God without being wholly submitted to that will. Consider this example from the wicked Israelites after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had destroyed Jerusalem and took most of the people captive into Babylon. The survivors left behind go to Jeremiah to ask him to ask God on their behalf what they ought to do. Now, Jeremiah had preached for more than 30 years to those people, and none of them had listened to them. He had predicted that the judgment would come just as it had. Everything he said, he had told them came to pass. So these Israelites had every reason to believe whatever Jeremiah told them was the word of God. But consider the dialogue. This is taken from Jeremiah 42. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 16. It says, Then all the commanders of the forces, and Johanan the son of Korea, and Jezaniah the son of Hoshiah, And all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Let our plea for mercy come before you, and pray to the Lord your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with but a few as your eyes see us, that the Lord your God may show us the way we should go, and the thing that we should do. So they claim here to be concerned about knowing God's will. Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request. And whatever the Lord answers you, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends you to us. Whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. So notice that they also claim that they are completely submitted to whatever God tells them to do, they're going to do it, whether they think it's the right thing or the wrong thing. Then he summoned, at the end of ten days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Then he summoned Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your plea for mercy before him. If you will remain in this land, then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up, for I relent of the disaster that I did to you. Do not fear the king of Babylon of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. I will grant you mercy, that he may have mercy on you and let you remain in your own land. But if you say, We will not remain in this land, disobey in the voice of the Lord your God, and saying, No, we will go to the land of Egypt, where we shall not see war, or hear the sound of the trumpet, or be hungry for bread, and we will dwell there, then hear the word of the Lord, O remnant of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, If you set your faces to enter Egypt and go to live there, then the sword that you fear shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and the famine of which you are afraid shall follow close after you to Egypt, and there you shall die. So God tells the people to stay in the land and he would protect them. But if they don't listen to him and they say, no, we're going to go to Egypt where we think we will be safe, then I'm going to destroy you in the land of Egypt. So how do you think the people responded? They had claimed they were going to listen very carefully and do whatever God said. In chapter 43, from verse 1 to 4 of Jeremiah, we read, When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people all these words of the Lord their God, with which the Lord their God had sent him to them, Azariah the son of Hoshiah, and Johanan the son of Korea, and all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, You are telling a lie. The Lord our God did not send you to say, do not go to Egypt to live there. But Baruch the son of Neriah has set you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they may kill us or take us into exile in Babylon. So Johanan the son of Korea and all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. So we have to ask ourselves, Did these people truly want to know God's will? No, they wanted God to bless their will and they rejected the idea that God's will could be different than theirs. God says this about what it takes to know him in Jeremiah 29 verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You can't find God's will When you say, I will do anything except for that, or I will go anywhere except there, or I will say anything except that. No, knowing God's will requires wholehearted submission to God's will. The fourth principle is that God gives us his will while we are faithfully seeking him. In Acts chapter 13 from verse 1 to 3, we read, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. We see these men were specifically called in the midst of their prioritizing the kingdom of God. God didn't call them while they were busy in business or planting vineyards or constructing houses. They were fasting and praying. So when the call came, they were already pre- prepared to go, right? Because they already had the right priority. But when we prioritize the world's kingdom, how might we respond when we hear the call? In Luke 14, from verse 16 to 20, we read, But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant, to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Notice how these people's excuses all revolved around what they had prioritized in their life. So you won't find God's will, God's specific will for your life, while you're not already prioritizing His revealed purpose to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and the other things will be added to you, right? The fifth principle is that the purpose of every Christian is related to the construction and mission of the church. The purpose of every Christian is related to the construction, the building up of God's church, and the carrying out of the mission of God's church. God has gifted each of his children for their role in the body of Christ. We are one body with many members. Your calling, your role, will match your gifts and identity God has given you. For example, Timothy's role was revealed in the activity of the church, the ongoing activity of the church. In 1 Timothy 4 verse 14 we read, do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy was already busy serving Paul and the believers when his call for specific ministry came. Along with this, Understand that your call will never be to something you are unqualified for. For example, a man's place is not to bear children and manage the household because God has not made him for that and God has commanded mothers to do that. Similarly, no woman is called by God to be an elder since God forbids them from having that role in the church. In First Timothy 2, verse 12, we read, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. God's specific call for our service will agree with how he has gifted us and made us. Lastly, I want to encourage you that God has majorly already placed you exactly where he wants you to be. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, from verse 7 to 10, we read, Go! Eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. You were born to a family, not of your choice, in a time, not of your choice, in a place, not of your choice, in circumstances, outside of your control, with abilities that were given or not given to you. I know some very conscientious Christians who wrestle with worry that they might spend years of their life Living as obedient Christians only defined they weren't doing what God wanted them to do. But rest assured from this text, when you walk in faithfulness, God will establish your steps. He has no trouble directing a person's life where he wants it to go. You be faithful and trust God. God bless you all.